So our scripture today is uh, not the Palm Sunday scripture that you're used to. I uh, wanted to go a little different route, but we're not going to exclude Palm Sunday. It's just not going to be the particular piece of scripture I read. The, the passage I'm going to read comes from the book of Matthew, the 17th chapter. It'll still be familiar to you uh, if you've been around church. You, you've probably heard this story, um, but, but listen to it again. After six days, Jesus took with him Peter, James, and John, the brother of James, and led them up a high mountain by themselves. There he was transfigured before him, before them. His face shone like the sun, and his clothes became as white as the light. Just then there appeared before them Moses and Elijah talking with Jesus. Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it is good for us to be here. If you wish, I will put up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. While he was still speaking, a bright cloud came, covered them with a voice. The cloud said, this is my son, whom I love. With him I am well pleased. Listen to him. When the disciples heard this, they fell face down to the ground, terrified. But Jesus came and touched them. Get up, he said. Don't be afraid. When they looked up, they saw no one except Jesus. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. So we are all familiar with that Passover, or that uh, uh, um, Palm Sunday parade. Whew. Words aren't working today. That Palm Sunday parade, when the palm branches are waved and, and the celebration comes. And, and, um, but have any of you ever been in a parade? Some of you? Quite a few of you. Um, and I've been in a few different parades, sometimes just to ride in a vehicle and, and honk the horn. And, 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 but I, I, I was part of a getting set up for a parade um, a couple of times. You know, I've been in church uh, parades that the church carries a banner in sometimes and promotes your church, especially in small towns. And, but I was in a parade in college where I helped build a float. There's a whole lot that goes into that. It takes months to get that done. And then you got to find a place to house this big old thing. And, and, uh, but there's, there's a lot that goes into the parade. But not just the event itself. There's a lot that goes into the reason for the parade. You know, not too many weeks ago we had St. Patrick's Day, and there were St. Patrick's Day parades all over the country. And, and you know, um, uh, many times... People celebrate the, uh, well, green beer and, and driving snakes out of Ireland. Um, but, you know, uh, if you know the full story behind St. Patrick, you know that he began the greatest evangelistic effort that ever happened across Europe. That's reason for a parade, at least from a religious perspective. That's reason for a parade. Every parade has reason for it or, or the story that led up to the need for the event. And, and that's Palm Sunday as well. The waving of the palm branches, this parade of Jesus coming into Jerusalem, there was a backstory that leads up to the event. If Jesus just shows up unannounced, nobody knows who he is, he rides a donkey into town, he will be ignored. But there's a backstory to it. There's a lot more that goes into it. 
There's a lot more that goes into the lives of all the people who decided he was worthy to pick up a palm branch and wave in his honor. There's that whole story that is behind it. Palm Sunday doesn't just happen by mistake. There's a lead up to it. A meaning, a deeper meaning and a purpose. In, in a few weeks, uh, we will have our confirmation students, uh, those who are, 10 of them, have been going through our confirmation class, and they'll, they'll come during uh, the two worship services, they'll kneel, we will pray over them to receive the Holy Spirit and become a part of the full part of the church, and they, they become adults as far as the church is concerned. They take responsibility for their own faith, and, and that is the beginning of their adult faith life. That's what we call confirmation. But it doesn't just happen. We've been meeting with them for since January, since the second week of January. I've been meeting with them to talk about all what this is about. It's not just that event. Hey, show up, we'll confirm you. No, there's a, there's a lead up to it. And frankly, the lead up to it begins when they're quite small and they sit at these tables and, and they learn about Jesus Christ through, through uh, uh, the, the ministry of the church. It's a, there's a whole lead into that moment. Part of what I teach in confirmation, I, I, I want to make sure they know about these omnis, um, the omnis of God. And, and God is omnipresent, always around, everywhere, all the time. God is omniscient. God knows everything. God is omnip omnipotent, meaning God is all-powerful. But those can actually be quite passive, and so there's a, there's a fourth one that, that we teach also. Those, those are the three that we're most aware of, but there's a fourth one we teach also, and that is God is omnibeneficent, which means all-loving. But beneficent gives it the sense of it's not a love that sits around and watches, but a love that is active and enters into. And so part of their learning is about this God, that not a God that is statically present, but a God that cares enough to be present in an active way, to be present, to enter into their lives. So it's not just the event, but it's all that leads up to it. And I think this is the case for Peter's life. Not just a single event in his life, because surely he was there at the parade, not just a, a single event in his life, but one of many, like the story that I read. Peter was there with James and John and, and Jesus going up on the mountain. What, what I think happens in the Bible happens with so many stories. If you're a reader, you know this. Um, uh, if, if it's a good author, at some point you will, you will find yourself in the story. You will find yourself just aligning with a character in the story. Maybe if you watch a movie or, or a television show, you find yourself so much like a character. Maybe it's a character you're not too proud of, or maybe it's a character that, man, that's my life. I can see myself in that. A good author brings us that. And so the Bible, the biblical narrative is, is one that is written in such a way that you can identify with some people. And, and they don't always align perfectly. I mean, you have to suspend disbelief for just a little bit to find that meaning. You, you realize it was a different time and a different place. The characters may be a different gender or ethnicity, etc. And, and yet when you allow their meaning in the story to align with yours, you begin to find truth within that. You find that, that a mirror has been held up to you, but maybe not 
a mirror as you've entered into that story. There's a parallel to your life, but not a parallel universe because it seems like you're a part of it. When this is done in fiction, a writer by the name of Richard Camus, not Albert Camus, but Richard Camus, terms this the lie through which we tell the truth. That's when it's done in fiction. You find a truth within the story that's not true. But maybe when set against the Bible, we could call it the truth through which we find our truth. This is what the Bible invites you to consider. The story of God's interaction with the people within it is the story of God's desire to interact with you. It's the truth of God set against the truths of your own life. It's not a static God, not a God that's only present, only knows everything, but a God that is also all-loving, a God who uses all of his attributes to seek you out, to be seen by you, to know who he is. So many people find that sort of story within the life story of Peter, this character in the Bible. That in spite of gender and, and the fact that he lived in first century Israel, he was an everyday Joe. Nothing special, but with all the fullness of human potential, like you. More than that, if, if Peter in all his limitations is seen as, by God as special, is sought by God as one dearly loved and used by God despite his, uh, his flaws and his limitations, how could that be possible with you too? Can that be your story as well? Today I'm not going to take a full immersion into the life of Peter, but, but rather we'll just kind of look a little bit at the stories, the interactions of Peter and Jesus. And, and Peter is named in the book of Matthew uh, 27 times. Now I suspect that's second only to Jesus. We could, we could check that. Somebody could Google it and let me know after the service, and somebody will. Um, but we, we could, I think that's second only to Jesus in this story. Jesus gets the primary role, but, but, but Peter wins best supporting actor. And as I think about it, isn't that our role as well? To be the best possible supporting actor in what God is doing in the world. We'll have to check with the academy on that one. So in the transfiguration, this story, Jesus takes Peter, James, and John, not all 12, not several thousand as in some of the stories when he feeds the 5,000. He takes Peter, James, and John, just a few close friends, and you, up a mountain. And I would imagine as they're climbing this mountain, Peter, James, and John are looking at each other like, what's this guy got going on now? There's nobody up there. How are we going to do your mission, Jesus, if we're up there and not down here among the people? What, are, what is going on? Why are we climbing this mountain? And it says that while they were up there, Jesus is transfigured. Now, you don't have to try to figure out what that means because the Scripture tells us. His face shone like the sun, 
and his clothes became as white as light. And Peter went, oh. Peter knows that in Exodus 34, a story from several thousand years before him, Peter knows that in Exodus 34, Moses comes down from the mountain and his face is white like that. His face shone with light. It was at the time when, you remember Moses comes down from the mountainside, he's got the tablets, and he sees the people are worshiping a, a, a golden calf, and he smashes the tablets, and then he's got to go back up and tell God what he just did. And he goes back up the mountain. And God has him carve out new tablets and says, here's what you're going to put on them, the Ten Commandments. And he brings them back down, and but this time when he comes down, his face shone. Well, Jesus' face shone like the sun, but not just that. His whole self is white, like light. And, and speaking of Moses showing up, because he shows up in this story, Moses shows up along with Elijah, who was one of the great prophets of Israel. Here's Moses, the one who brings the law, the, the rules, the regulations of the people of Israel, the law of Israel, which their law is what they consider to be Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. First five books of the Bible are the books of Moses or the books of the law. And then here is Elijah, who is the first really great prophet of Israel. There were others, but the first really great prophet of Israel, the one who has the great respect of the people of Israel, he represents the prophetic promises of God. And here are these three together. And Jesus is in their presence, and Peter goes, oh, starting to figure things out. Not perfectly, because he goes, hey, let's build a house for each of you. Didn't quite get it right, but all of a sudden this cloud descends, and, and that gets a little scary. And then the voice of God speaks out, this is my son, the one whom I love. Listen to him. And Peter goes, oh, goes face down in the dirt, scared. And when they look up, there's only Jesus. When Peter and James and John look up, there's only Jesus. Why? Because the law has been fulfilled by Jesus. No more need for Moses. The, the prophetic promises have been fulfilled by Jesus. No more need for Elijah. There's only Jesus left. And Peter goes, oh, oh. So much more happens with Peter, and, and, and much of it uh, we can relate to. I mean, uh, Peter's mother-in-law is healed by Jesus, and, and, and each of us have had somebody in our lives that, that recovered from an illness that may have been touch or go, we weren't quite sure of. And not much we can say other than, you know, they miraculously pulled through. Jesus gives Peter a nickname. And how many of us would, would, would be better off being called by something other than our name, but something that, that relates to, to the interior reality of ourselves? How many of us name our children based on our hopes and dreams for who they will be? 
They're given a name based on, on a, a desire for who they might be or, or in remembrance of somebody that's gone before them. Naming is so important, and, and Jesus names Peter, and Peter means rock. His name is Simon, but he names him Peter. Peter means rock, which in part says, you're hard-headed, son, but your immovable self is important for the future because you're going to face persecution, and you are going to need to stand firm. You are the rock. How many rappers change their name because they want to be something other than who they were born to be? Or, 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 or I mean, what name would Jesus call you by? In what way would you hope he would call out to you? Jesus calls Peter later to, to walk on water. And which one of us has, has just desired to be the hero in our own story? Or maybe that is how you tell your story. You know, when you tell a story about yourself, you always come out looking pretty good. And if you don't, it's a little bit of a false humility. You know, that's how I was. <laughs> I learned from that now. <laughs> how many of us are the hero in our story? And, and Jesus gives Peter the chance to be the hero in his story. In Jesus' story, an eternal story. If Jesus gave you that opportunity to be the hero in an eternal story that God is writing, would you step into that? Would it fulfill a dream for you? Peter, having gained some confidence through all of this, boldly proclaims that Jesus is the Savior, the Christ, and he's commended for it. How many of us think that Jesus came to condemn us, and in fact, Jesus comes to commend us? Some of us live in fear of that condemnation of Christ, while what he desires is to commend us for being bold for him. So Peter gets a little bit too bold, and he pulls Jesus aside, and, he, and he, he rebukes him when Jesus says that I've got to go die in Jerusalem. And Peter rebukes him, and, and Jesus rebukes him right back in a rather harsh manner. And how many of us have decided we have a better game plan than Jesus, and we've tried to live that out, only to say, oh... So many stories of Peter take place that lead up to the moment of transfiguration. And the many that take place, it's, it's because God needs Peter to keep learning and growing and saying, oh, I'm getting this. And God needs the same for you. To, to recognize, to realize that, that, that it is Jesus who comes welcome you into this story that eventually is going to lead to a parade and so much more. But Jesus comes seeking you. Jesus is God seeking you. You. God has this great desire for Peter to be on board with what God is doing in the world. And God's not done with him yet or with you. And Peter will uh, uh, encounter Christ several more times, one in particular after the resurrection of Christ and before Christ ascends into heaven. Christ says to Peter, feed my sheep, take care of my people. 
Jesus is God seeking out Peter because God has something great for his future and yours. And Peter responds in such a, a drastic way that in Matthew, he's, he, he shows up 27 times. But in the book of Acts, you have, you have Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John that all tell the story of Jesus' ministry on earth. And then you have the book of Acts, which is what the apostles did after Jesus ascended. And in the book of Acts, he shows up 72 times. I haven't counted. Paul may show up more, but it's pretty close, I would guess. 72 times the name of Peter appears in the book of Acts. In the story of Jesus, Peter found truth. A truth that intersected with his life. With the truth that was within him. And confirmed it. God is seeking you with the truth of the good news of Jesus Christ. It's what this upcoming week is all about. This week leading up to the crucifixion of Christ on Friday and his resurrection on Sunday. God's truth is seeking you out. In Jesus Christ, we find the truth of who you are, especially the truth of who you are in the face of God, one dearly loved and, and desired one that God wants to be a part of what he's doing in the world, wants to be written into the ongoing story of what Christ is doing in the world. Jesus Christ is God seeking you. It's the truth of who God created you to be. Amen and amen.